Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash FutureInvestor slash radio. Welcome to Out of Office. My guest today is Asma Khan, a celebrated chef in London. She serves up nostalgia-soaked dishes from her childhood in Calcutta, India, which is also my home city. I'm Malika Kapoor, your host. Asma, the woman behind the restaurant Darjeeling Express, is the first British chef to be featured on the Netflix hit series Chef's Table. She speaks openly about sexism in the restaurant industry. No landlord wanted to talk to me because I didn't come with that very vital attachment, which is a man in a suit with money. Growing up in India, she says she knows what it feels like to be excluded because she was born a girl. So I want to give girls the time when people throw stones at them and they say that everybody cried when you were born. Some girl can turn around and say, no, they celebrated. There are many unusual things about Asma's business. She runs an all-women kitchen. Everyone is an immigrant. And none of them, including her, have had any formal training. And for me, these are the most educated, enlightened women that I'm working with. They didn't need to go to school. They have that huge humanity, which I don't think school teaches you. I caught up with Asma at her restaurant in London, and we talked about the impact of the pandemic on her business. We reminisced about our childhood in Calcutta, and she told me why she won't hire a man to work in her kitchen. If you introduce me to a man who has learned from his mother and learns how to cook prayandas and can learn without instructions being given to that person, I may. But really, I have not met a single man I want to hire. Here's my conversation with Asma Khan. Asma, welcome to Out of Office. Thank you very much for having me. Isn't it amazing how after so many years, our families are reconnecting with uh, you and me meeting today? Yes, and it's all because of your mom. Because <laughs> your mom finally worked out who I was because I mentioned my mom yes. in another podcast. And I was speaking to someone and she worked it out. Yeah, like Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> so she called and had a chat with my mom and my mom was thrilled. Because, you know, when things are over, you know, my mother closed her business and has moved her catering business and moved out of Calcutta, moved to Aligarh. This was a life, you know, that she pines for. And to hear the, a voice of someone who was her client, so grateful, remembering all her food. My mother was very emotional saying, you know, because of you, I heard a voice I had not heard for so long. It's absolutely beautiful. My mother, my mother was so proud. And just for people who are listening to the podcast, the context is that your mom used to make amazing food and had a catering business in Calcutta, which is where I grew up. And my mom had your mom's cooking many times. Yeah. Well, first of all, congratulations on all your successes. Thank you. And I enjoyed watching the Chef's Table documentary. I enjoyed reading about you on Vogue's list of trailblazing women and one after the other. It's been amazing. So congratulations. Thank you very much. 
And we're sitting here in Darjeeling Express, but this particular restaurant is going to be shutting down, or you have shut it down during. I have. Okay. I, have. I shut it down. Uh, you know, on the 16th of March, Boris Johnson suggested to everyone, "Don't go to restaurants," but had not called an official lockdown when Paris and New York and all these places already had lockdown on restaurants. I just felt unsafe. I mean, I felt my staff were not safe and my customers are not safe. So the official lockdown was called a few days later. But I locked down because I needed to protect the lives of my team, because you know my team are all immigrant women who send almost virtually their entire money that they earn back home to support 20 to 25 people each. I was not going to make that call to those 25 people saying she's unwell or there's something wrong, and I thought no, I'm not going to risk it because I must help out. Because what you know, if this was my mum, you know, I had, I, I'm responsible, and so I closed, and I promised everybody I would pay them. I left a light on when I uh, closed because there's a word in Hindi and Urdu called umid, which is hope, and in the hope that I will return, I left a light on because I could not leave this in darkness. This place meant too much to me. I needed to know that I could find my way back. It's an extremely expensive decision to make, to cancel 200 people. We were booked till Valentine's next year. It was painful, but it happened and we closed. I never thought it would pan out this way, but I had already been looking for a place from last year. I was just looking to move out. Yeah. It had become unviable. The fact that we were doing 200 people a day and then being crushed with demands for more and more spaces and last year, Starting from my own landlord, no landlord wanted to talk to me, because I didn't come with that very vital attachment, which is a man in a suit with money. It was so obvious because they were like, you know, are you going in for venture capitalist funding? Are you raising money? Because the thing is that I don't have further funding. I'm not willing to be able to pay two million pound, you know, as premium. I cannot pay for, you know, any premium, and premium is. Absolutely debilitating because that's the amount that any going restaurant would request, and the landlord would expect you to pay mm -hmm. for a really high quality uh, site. There was no point leaving this beautiful space yeah. for something just marginally bigger. It had to be spectacularly bigger to leave such a sacred space that made us, that transformed the lives of not just me but my entire team. That space I would only leave. It's like leaving home yes. again for me yes. as an immigrant. It was leaving home a second time. You made a very interesting point. I mean, in 2020, it is still tough for a woman and a minority woman to be taken seriously when it comes to getting funding yeah. and yes. to start a restaurant. Yes, absolutely. And the thing is that if anyone thinks change has happened, just look at the investment in women from venture capitalists. One percent of entire Venture capitalist money goes to women. I won't even bother telling you the absolutely minuscule amount that goes to women of color. Women of color jump more hurdles than other people, and I can guarantee that to you because we need to prove ourselves beyond anything. I was very, very lucky to get this place, and I got this place only because I had one huge advantage. There was one powerful person in the landlord's office who had eaten my food. On many occasions, in the pub down the road, that was okay. my doorway in because I had proved myself. I know if I had just rocked up, looking the way I do, sounding the way I do, accented, with no credit history, without even a credit card, 
If anyone tells me that it is any other way, show me one person who's a female, who's a woman of color, who got a restaurant space this size, and I will stop. That has not happened. It's still not happening. And there's only one reason. The amount that we need to prove, financially our stability, the fact that we need to bring suit in with us, preferably someone who is very establishment, who that landlord can feel secure with, this is self-selection. The moment landlord sees someone who looks like him, invariably someone who looks like him, who knows people like him, maybe they play golf together, maybe they went to the same school or college. There is a sense of, yes, that person is reliable and rock solid. Whereas someone like me, they cannot relate to. I had a huge difficulty with this place, despite the landlord's support. And to some extent, it was my own failing. I'm you know, not from a background of finance. Mm-hmm. I did do a PhD in law yeah. at King's College London. But I didn't actually perfect how to do a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> uh, I never ended up doing because of whatever reason I didn't do it. So I was practicing how to do a PowerPoint presentation with a business plan I had not written, which someone else had written to me and I had memorized. You know, I'm from India, we know how to do rote. So we, yeah, and we also very good at memorizing lots of things because it's a part of the, from prayers to, you know, names of all the relatives to dialogues from films. The night before I realized I couldn't do it because I couldn't remember. And I realized if anybody asked me a question, I wouldn't be able to answer. So I called the landlord I knew and said, I can't come. He said, if you don't come and make the presentation, you do not stand a chance of being considered for the lease. And then I remember this scene with Marlon Brando saying, at least I could have been a contender. I could have been something. And I thought, fine, you know, because you don't just sit it out. You go into the ring and you fight. You fight and you might lose, but at least you went. You could have been a contender and it was very important to show up. And I thought you show up and you put up a fight. So I told the landlord, if you just do me one thing, you shift my slot to lunchtime. Let me give you lunch and we talk over lunch. So this is less scary for me. So essentially I I asked the landlord if I could do lunch and then I bought my entire team. We fried hot samosas, pakoras in this entire building. I told the girls, don't go anywhere. By the time I'd come, they had served pakoras to every floor, irrespective (laughs) of landlord's office or not. And they had, the whole building was smelling of Calcutta. I mean, there was chard, there was puchka, and we served the food. And I sat and talked to them about, you know, ballpark figures of what I would do. And, you know, there were financial people in there. One of them who was particularly concerned was repeatedly asking me the difficult questions, which he understood I could not answer. And I stopped and I basically told him that, you know, if you feel very, very insecure about giving the lease to me, I understand your concerns, and I'm also not being able to answer your questions, which probably worries you a lot more. But I'll tell you one thing, if you don't give this lease to me, I will come back every night in your dreams, and you will live your whole life wondering, what if you had risen above your prejudice and given me that lease? And I said this when I was leaving, and as, as I left, he was still standing. I told all the girls, we've got it, because he didn't sit down. Along that railing, that man has stood and seen this restaurant packed, and he comes to watch me. And I appreciate that. He knows I've seen him. He's not going to get a table because we're too full. But he would come and stand and give me the thumbs up, clap. Three years ago, uh, in 2017, when I went to them with the idea of opening an all-female-run kitchen, 
of home cooks, no professional chefs, yeah. no one with any training, no one with any restaurant uh, experience or knowledge, including me. No big financier, no advisor, no consultant. Kind of looks scary. At that time, there, I could not give an example right. of anyone in the whole world. So tell me about your new space. So my new place is in Covent Garden. It's a grade two listed building. It's where the old Carlocchio's flagship restaurant was and the deli. It's incredibly beautiful. It's the corner, massive building Lovely. just before you hit, you know, the main Covent Garden uh, quad. And it's uh, really quite remarkable in an area full of very refined uh, restaurants and very, very European-led uh, cuisine. It's really not somewhere where even the shadow of someone like me could have crossed in the past. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. So where does that come from, that feeling? I could not live with myself if I didn't do things differently. I think this came from my mother, who you have met. And I know that there was a lot of pressure on her when she was expecting me, because my earlier aunt had already had a daughter. And this kind of pressure to have a daughter was, you know, would have been terrible for her. She, she was, you know, quite keen to have a son. I turned up. and. Everybody told me how awful it was for the whole family. But then what transformed everything is when my brother was born, who was born three years later, my mother never celebrated his birth. There were no laddus, no sweets. Neighbors came and told us, did she have another girl? And I remember standing on the door saying, no, I had a brother. They said, you're wrong, you know. There's a celebration. Ammu never celebrated the birth of Arif. I was three and a half and she treated me equally. I remember feeling so powerful because all she did is that she just treated me the same as my older sister, the same as my younger brother. That was life-changing for me. She didn't have to say anything to me. In Indian culture, the mang tikka, the, the, the head you know, piece, jewelry, jewelry that yes. uh, you wear as a bride, is something that is handed down from generation to generation. Mm -hmm. It's handed down, you know, as a inheritance. Mm -hmm. And when I opened the restaurant, my mother gave it to me. I have a brother. And it was really hard because it's, this really changed things. And I realized that, you know, these are important, yeah. that the ancestral jewelry, when there is a boy, is given to a girl because my mother wanted to endorse, because she cooked. Her yeah. dream was to open a restaurant, and, and she, she never did. And she never did it, because you know, it was not, 
Calcutta was a different time then, you know, and yes. it was been too much for her and the responsibility and, you know, yes. all of that. She didn't do it. From the time that I was very small, Ammu treated me equally. My father did as well, absolutely. Yes. Yes. Never discriminated, never allowed people to... Sorry, I'm, still, I'm crying a bit. And I'm crying out of just gratitude. Yes. Not because it's, it's sad, but it's so important. It doesn't cost you anything. And if you stand up for another woman, if you stand up for the weak, if you, if you speak for the voiceless, when you have a platform, this was why it was became so important for me that I could not live with myself because I know what it did to me. Yes. It made me absolutely, and I say this with, without any arrogance, invincible. And I felt it. The power I feel, every battle that I lose, I see this as an opportunity to learn, but also every barrier I hit, I removed for the woman coming behind me. What's it been like to run a business with a team of women who, like you, like you said, don't have, you know, a degree in running a restaurant or a, you know, a diploma in running a restaurant and who are not professionally trained chefs? So what's that been like? This seems perfectly normal to me. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. because the thing is that I don't know what it's like to be in culinary school. I have no right. idea what they teach you. Right. I, have, I know how to cook. I know how to feed. I know how to serve. And I love doing what I do. So these women are all the same. They come from different backgrounds from me. Yeah. And it is interesting because, you know, in my entire staff, there's one, one grandmother and lots of moms. And most of them grew up in very deprived families in India. Mm-hmm. I would never have even sat down and had a cup of tea with them in India. The divided class and caste-ridden so uh, society that is there. Yes. I wouldn't have. People are very surprised when they realize that I am Muslim. My entire staff is Hindu. And four of them are vegetarians. They help me cook meat. They're absolutely not bothered what I'm cooking. They have no judgment. And for me, this is real education. When you are able to rise above your own prejudice and see the greater good. And for me, these are the most educated, enlightened women that I'm working with. They didn't need to go to school. They have that huge humanity which I don't think school teaches you. I'm amazed. The thing is that those that were scarred and those that were weak have now become the powerful and now become the healer and now have become people who can lift people up. Nothing I could have achieved in my life gives me that sense of power that when I see them lifting other people up because I know the ripple I created is now carrying on that these women are now, they come to me with, you know, women they've met, you know, in, in the area, say she's having this problem, she has domestic violence, can you help her? Can you? you know, being supportive and lifting other people up, this is great. I wanted to ask you about the Second Daughters Fund. Yeah. You've launched that already? Well, it is right now a not-for-profit. What we, is the goal of the Second Daughters Fund? Well, the goal of the Second Daughters Fund is really to do something very simple, is to celebrate the birth of girls. So we, you know, we can't go into families. This is a very personal thing, you know, and you will understand this coming, having been born there. No one will allow an outsider to come in and preach to them about what is right and wrong. When the media, when whole society is so, you know, entrenched in this gender bias, girls and daughters are a liability. And 
no one wants to celebrate their birth. So we pay for the celebration when anyone in all our villages has a second daughter. We pay for firecrackers and we send five kgs of laddus. They have no choice. No one's going to eat five kgs of laddu. So in that little moment yeah. where they do this, I just want people to be conscious of the fact that we they were forced to celebrate a girl. But in that celebration, that moment of realization, maybe for the mother, the mother-in-law, that this is life. We are celebrating a life. It's basically proclaiming that, you know, a birth has happened, whereas everybody puts the light off and it's like a death right. when a girl is born, right. especially when it's a repeat, yes. another girl. And then, of course, you know, the greater idea is, of course, to, you know, to raise awareness, to talk in schools, to help make sure that girls who are not being sent to school, second and third girls, that we pay for their education. It's very low-key, low-impact, without trying to rattle too many cages. But I think that, you know, we want to get the message out. And also, you know, when I was very young, when fights used to happen, you know, over cricket and things that, and some of the servants' children uh, would tell me, everyone cried when you were born. Mm. You know, nobody loved you, nobody wanted you. They would, you know, throw stones at me and say that, you know, you're like so unwanted. I had nothing to say. I would take them, the ones that I could catch hold of, take them to Ammu and say, he said that everyone cried and what? And Ammu said, no, he's lying. So I had to let them go. I was always think, you know, different, different people say the same thing. Mm. That I was not wanted, that I, no one loved me. And everyone cried, you know, and my grandmother didn't come to see me when I was in hospital. So I was hearing all these stories, I never kind of understood. But if I had known that there had been a celebration when I was born, I would have had something to say. Yes. So I want to give girls the time when people throw stones at them and they say that everybody cried when you were born. Some girl can turn around and say, no, they celebrated. I want to see this as a foundation. I want to see this grow to become something significant where we can talk about gender, yes. but we can also talk about equality, you know, and all of these issues. Because I'm also running a restaurant and trying to yes. make sure that my two kids, you know, finish school and college and all of that. Yes. I have to put this on the back burner, but I will do all of this now yes. and then build this into a foundation. I'm very ambitious for this because I want to dedicate when I hit the autumn of my lives, which I will decide when that is. When I do hit that point, when I will need to slow down, I will still have a, so much experience and so much value that I can help others with. I want to dedicate that time in my life when maybe physically I'm not be able to do, you know, run restaurants and do a lot of work to be able to give back yes. and to give back and to empower. And I'm starting now. Uh, so I also learn how to yes. do these things. Yes. You know, you don't, you know, start off with a big thing. You start off small and you build up slowly. So that's what I'm doing. I know it's been an incredibly tough journey for you to make it here as a successful entrepreneur, as an immigrant woman, a woman of color. Has this society given you something that's allowed you to succeed being a woman of color? Absolutely, 100%. I think that uh, it would be completely inaccurate if I said that, you know, this is a, a society that is riddled with racism and, you know, sexism, and there is anti-immigrant feeling, uh, Islamophobic, all of this. It's not that. I, you know, some of my greatest strengths uh, in this entire journey have come from people who are not like me at all, but who chose to be by my side. I think that, uh, you know, and I said this to Sadiq, uh, 
the mayor of London, I said that, you know, this is the greatest city in the world. It was the umbrella under which we could build Dajani Express. I don't think Dajani Express could have happened anywhere else in the world but London. London has something magical in it. I think that is because so many people who are here were not born here. And I think that, you know, being a woman of color, you will find more people who are like you in London, who are in positions of strength, who are able to provide help for you, who are willing to spend that vital half an hour trying to get you through something. And this is, you know, I think very special. And I think that it has helped that I am an insider and an outsider because I can connect with a lot more people who are not necessarily South Asians, but they know that feeling of being an insider and an outsider. And then, you know, it's an advantage because they speak your language, even if they don't actually speak your language. And I think that, you know, it's okay. It's not a bad thing. Asma, would you ever hire men in your kitchen? <laughs> because, no, because they've all, most of the men who are cooking have uh, learned at culinary school. If you introduce me to a man who has learned from his mother and learns how to cook prayandas and can learn without instructions being given to that person, I may. But really, I have not met a single man I want to hire in the kitchen. Not yet. Okay, great. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to talk to you and to reconnect with you and your family after all these years. Thank you very much. That's Out of Office for this week. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Chef Asma Khan, who used to be my neighbor in Calcutta, India, my home city. And remember, you can find more episodes of Out of Office on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Bloomberg Terminal, or our website, Bloomberg.com. We're also on Twitter. Our handle is simply at podcasts. This episode was produced by Jordan Gaspure. I'm Malika Kapoor. Stay well, and thank you for making time for Out of Office. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash Future Investor slash Radio.